we're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Acts. So we've seen an overview of the book and the hindrances of what they were up against, things that they had to overcome. We've seen Jesus with his disciples for 40 days and ascend back to the throne of the universe at his Father's right hand. We've seen Ben Bechtel last week take us through this portion of the scripture that truthfully was, was confusing to me and has been for years. And I was encouraged the way he brought clarity to some of the details in that passage as they replaced Judas. And this week we've seen that as the Lord ascended, now the Spirit will descend. The church is born. So follow along with me as I read from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we'll pray that the Lord would be our teacher. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. I invite you to pray with me as we begin to study it. Heavenly Father, this passage is famous for the way the Holy Spirit comes down and you fill your church with your presence and your power. But I pause just for a moment to reflect and to pray. Or that you can fill your church very quickly. But we need to be emptied of so many things as well. So much pride, self-sufficiency, worries that we hang on to when we need to release them and give them to you. Lord, as you fill your church this morning even with fresh doses of grace and gospel, May you push out what doesn't belong and replace it with joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
If you're looking in a Bible or scrolling on a phone, go ahead and scroll back and look back to chapter 1, verse 8. You, says Jesus, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You, my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You, he says. It's a pretty ragtag group of men he said that to. How are they going to do that? You will be my witnesses. How? How are they going to be his witnesses? To the ends of the earth? They're 12. Well, first 11, then 12 again. And then maybe even 120, but to the ends of the earth? And who are these men? Well, Peter sp- stood up in chapter 1 and spoke and talked about how to replace one of the men who betrayed Jesus. And you think about that as I heard another pastor say, like, you've got Peter who just a month before in a moment of crisis when Jesus, in a sense, needed him most, he says, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. He's afraid. So you've got one guy who's cowardly standing up to talk about how to replace another one who betrayed Jesus. That's this group. You will be my witnesses to the ends of it. How's that going to be? When I graduated from seminary, I don't remember a ton of the things that happened at the commencement and graduation ceremony, but I do remember a few things, and, and there's a few thousand of us there, not all graduates, family, relatives, etc. It's a big church that hosted it, and I don't remember who the speaker was, but we're all there in our caps and gowns, and the faculty's there in their more fancy cap and gowns, and the speaker at one point uses this illustration that has carried me and, and stuck with me for years. He talked about inviting someone up on stage. He didn't do it, but he said we could invite a strong person here among us to come up on stage and do push-ups. I know that sounds strange, but he said he could do push-ups, and when the, this individual starts to struggle, we could all begin to cheer. Come on, you can do it, and maybe they get an extra four or five, six Push-ups, and there's a point in which the individual is struggling so much, the speaker says, I could get down there and get right in his face and say, for $100,000, another one. Okay, fine. And yet even then, there comes a point at which no threat, a gun to his head, or no reward, a million dollars, is going to get another push-up. At least in that moment. There just is a limit to our own strength. There always has been. And there always will be. And so how, God, how is God going to do this through them, through us? When we opened the sermon series, we talked about the hindrances that this group of people was up against and the hindrances that we face. And the promise that comes to us through the Gospels and through the book of Acts is this, that Jesus will build his church. And that when Jesus ascends to the throne of the universe, the Holy Spirit descends and he's here to stay among them and among us. As we talk about this passage in more detail, I want to do so answering two questions. 
The first is just what happened. Let's just go through the passage a few verses at a time. Say, okay, what's going on? What's happening in these verses? And then I want to ask and at least start the answer to the question of what they ask in verse 12. What does this mean? Okay, once we know what's happened, we'll ask, okay, what does this mean? What's going on? How do we apply this? What, what does this mean for our lives? That's what they're asking. I hope that's what we're asking too. Let's just start with what happened. Begin in verse 1 here. Let me read it again. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. A couple things. They were all together. This group of diverse individuals. You've got a tax collector. A former zealot. This kind of fanatical, political, renegade turned apostle. You've got Peter, a businessman. You've got others who were employees, a couple that were brothers. It's a diverse group of people. But they're together. And then we read of Pentecost. There's some background. There are a handful of Jewish festivals that are significant. The most, one that has the most name brand recognition to us is Passover. Right, So the original Passover, the exodus from Egypt, the ten plagues and the tenth plague being the angel of death passing over and those who put lamb's blood on their doorposts, Israelite or Egyptian, could be saved. And God saved them and drew them out of Egypt, constituted them as his people by his grace. And that's Passover. But the next biggest in the Jewish calendar, there are three. The middle one is Pentecost and it was tied originally uh, in the scriptures, I won't read the Old Testament passages with uh, a, a harvest of certain crops. It's the early harvest. They're late and early harvest. And this is the early one. But it occurred or was celebrated 50 days after Passover. Now, because it was associated 50 days after Passover, it's also about linked up with the timing of when the Israelites came out of Egypt. It was almost, but not quite, 50 days when God delivered his law on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And so over time, it also became associated with God giving his law to his people. But regardless, all of that's background. The nations are gathered there. Just one other detail that because we know it's 50 days, it also helps us get some of the timing here. So Passover was 50 days earlier. We read in chapter 1 that Jesus was alive uh, with his disciples for 40 days. So there's a gap of about 10 days where Jesus was not with his disciples and before the opening of this passage. So continuing verses 2 and 3, we read, Three, four, two, three, and four. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If this passage is weird to us, it was weird to them. Now, I'll say they use the language of tongues here, and it's used a couple other times. Sometimes the passage uses the, lang- um, the word language, and that's all it was. They were speaking other languages. Now, sometimes in church context, tongues are understood and practiced in very, what I would call, squirrely ways. But here, it's very clear and honestly a very beautiful thing what's happening, which I'll get into in just a moment. But there's noise, and there's wind, and there's fire. If we were steeped in the Old Testament as these individuals were, we would know that these things are associated with 
pre- the, 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 when God, God showing up. We'll just put it that way. Like, like a train coming through the center aisle it was. Think of Elijah on a mountain. Think of Isaiah chapter 6. Revelation. God showing up in wind and noise and fire. He is there among them by his spirit. Let's continue. Verses 5 through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They're going to say that three times because it's important. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So they're for all from one place. Yes, also this is a slight and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Can you believe it? Visitors of Rome are here. Like that was the end of the earth to them. By the way, the book of Acts ends in Rome with the gospel being shared there. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, that's those who had converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, third time, the mighty works of God. A few things. Some of you would have seen the show Duck Dynasty when it was on. <laughs> I didn't watch, watch it really, but maybe it, a clip here or there. Um, but you know them if you didn't. You know, these southern guys who, uh, I think this was Sporting Clay store of some kind or Duck Calls, I think. What, was that what, it, was that what they sold? Um, so they're kind of bumpkins, right? That's their stick. Now, I think they're probably more sophisticated than they are because they built this whole franchise so, um, and became quite famous. But, but one pastor, as he was talking about this, he, he mentioned, okay, so if one of these guys went to the United Nations gathering at the UN and just starts speaking perfect Mandarin, you'd be like, this is odd. We are amazed, perplexed, astonished, to use the language of the passage. Right? That would be kind of crazy. Not kind of. And it's like that. You have this phrase here, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Are they not Duck Dynasty characters? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Said of Jesus in the Gospels, which was also a slight. And yet it happened. And the nations are gathered there. And what are these nations, what are these men from every nation under heaven, as it says in verse 5, what is it that they hear? They hear preaching in their own language. But what do they hear when they hear preaching in their own language? Verse 11, the mighty works of God. That's what's preached. Not self-help, not how you can climb your way to God. What's preached is what God has done since the beginning of creation, but most especially what he has been doing and continues to do in the gospel. Because when Peter gets up here, he's going to get up in verse 14 in the coming weeks. We'll address what Peter has to say to these people. But around verse 22, the mighty works of God, the same phrase, is tied especially to the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. That's the mighty work they heard in their own language. They're preaching the gospel. Think for a moment 
about the warmth of hearing the gospel in your own language. Now, many of us, not all, are majority culture people. Wherever we go, someone's going to speak English, probably. Even when we go somewhere far from here. I've told at times stories from my honeymoon <laughs> and all the terrible travel mishaps that happened. One of them, you guys seem to enjoy those stories quite a bit, I think, just laughing at me and all the stupid things that happen. And, 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 and one of the first nights, my wife and I find ourselves after this picturesque dinner and trip to the ocean and on this dock and we walk out and our tour guide, then all of a sudden, what was this picturesque thing, we end up... Um, what felt like in a matter of moments, all of a sudden we're in a dark alley, no one's speaking English, and I'm being offered drugs in another language. I can tell that's what's happening. And our tour guide is speaking to people in other languages, and he's calling us deeper into the alley. And it went from like, oh, this is really fun, to I think we're going to die, like really fast. And one of the things that made it so scary was to not, not know what was going on. Again, the warmth of this, that God, when he comes, he comes in their own language. A few weeks ago, I guess it was maybe a month, there was a service during first service down beneath us as we were having ours for some of the immigrants and refugees here among us, and part of that service was translated into French. Even for a few, the few people, there's a few that can speak English, but that, it was done intentionally so that the, the, what was said and what was sung could be in the language of their heart. I don't want to get into a comparative religion type of study things most Sundays here at church, but just as a quick comment, I'll say that when that the, the Quran can't go into another language and still be the Quran as I understand it. I mean, it's still the book that is the, called the Quran, but like the real thing is in Arabic. And yet wherever Christianity is gone, it goes into that language. Why? Because God wants to draw near. Think of the kindness of God in this passage. He's drawing near to these people and these families who have traveled and into a part of the world where they're not going to be speaking their language and all of a sudden we're hearing the good news of Jesus, how God in the person of Jesus Christ has drawn near to us. And they're not just hearing it through a translator, they're hearing it in their own language. That is... What happens in the incarnation? God draws near from the throne of heaven to a cradle in the dirt, as we just sang. And in the end of the book of Revelation, what happens? Heaven comes down and the world is recreated. And what is the refrain? God will dwell with his people and he will be this God, our God, and they will be his people. Well, verses 12 and 13 what do we read next? And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I'm going to spend the rest of our sermon talking about what it does mean. But before I do, let me just talk about verse 13 just for a second. Right? One of the first things Peter does when he stands up, verse 14, 15, so they're like, these guys are drunk. And Peter's like, it's 9 a.m., guys. <laughs> that's what he says when he gets, like, they're not drunk. Um, and that's a very gracious response, I would say, because he sort of treats their objection a little bit more seriously. But, but let's talk for, what, what, 
what are they actually saying? What are some saying? Right, so, so like if Uncle Sai comes here and, and to the United Nations and he starts speaking perfect Mandarin and the people who know perfect Mandarin are like, I, I don't know, but that guy's speaking Mandarin. It's not sufficient to go, the dude's just been drinking too much. No one through intoxication starts speaking a, a language they didn't know perfectly, right? Like that, that, that's sort of like truth is coming at me, class clown deflection because I don't want to treat it seriously. And I just, I, in, in, with as much sobriety as I can say here, just in this moment, don't do that. If God is drawing near to you, he's stirring things in your heart. You're weighing the consequences. Don't laugh it off with a joke. Bring it near. Even as God wants to draw near to you. So, what does it mean? We're going to have four weeks where Peter's going to stand up and he's going to tell these people what it means. But let me, without going into that passage, just offer three things that it most certainly means. Here's the first. God is seeking to save the lost. I want to go back to chapter Luke, uh, Luke chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. You could if you wanted. Just to read one verse, Luke chapter 19. Verse 10 He's at Zacchaeus' house, a man who is far from God. Jesus eats at his house. It ticks off the religious folks in quite significant ways. Jesus doesn't care. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says, for the Son of Man, it's a title from the book of Daniel that he drew to himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is what I came to do, tax collect, collect, pull in tax collectors, pull in prostitutes, pull in sinners. Now go back over to Acts chapter one, verse one and two. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what? Began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Began to do, what's that imply? He was doing things in the first book that he began to do. He's still doing them. What does this mean? Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. What he began to do in his incarnation, he now do, does from the throne of the universe as he sent the Holy Spirit to work among his church to draw people in. The nations were gathered here. And, and I just, you know, culture is such that we don't do altar calls anymore more or less. There was a day. But co conversion is not passe. It's not, a, it's not a thing from yesteryear. It's happening among us. As a pastor, I get a front row seat to it. It's beautiful. And there are some of you who are wrestling with what it might mean for the first time to follow Christ. And, and, and you've been coming and you're wrestling with Am I actually going to call myself a Christian here at some point? Maybe today is the day where you just say, you know what? I still don't, I don't have all my questions figured out, but I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I know God has been drawing near to me. He's been doing it here through church and friendship and in a hundred other ways. I'm tasting the kindness of the God and I'm experiencing his forgiveness in song and the preached word. And I, Lord, I need you and I want to be a Christian. And maybe that's all, it's all, the only kind of prayer you know how to pray. 
just want to encourage you to pray that prayer and to tell someone. Let them know. Let us as a church come alongside you. That's what we see in the book of Acts so much. People becoming Christians and they need help and they need things to figure out. That's what the church is for. That's one thing that it means. God is seeking and saving the lost. Here's another thing that it means. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Again, I should have told you to leave your finger there. Acts chapter 19 is what we, or excuse me, Luke 19. Let me read just one verse from Luke 18. Jesus is talking to a man who is very rich and talking to him about what it might mean to become a follower of Christ. And he walks away and Peter says, it must be really hard. Who can be saved? And Jesus says, yeah, it's really hard. Actually, it's not hard. It's impossible. But verse 27, Jesus says, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. How are they going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? Like, how are they going to do that? How are we going to do that? You know, I've been thinking about that upper room, 120. It looks like maybe we have a little more than that here now. I don't know. But picture a group like us. We're all gathered. We're studying the scriptures. We're praying. We're huddled sometimes in groups praying for each other. Sometimes we have one person praying. As we had earlier. And say you and I, we're hearing about that something's happening with these group of people, and so we want to go check it out. And so we go and we see them praying. We're kind of, we're not really invited in. We don't know what's going on. We're looking on as outsiders. We see a few people get up and go to the restroom. They're going to go to the cafe and grab some coffee. And, and, and so we go to the couple men and women, and we say, hey, what's going on? I say, we're praying. I say, what are you going to do? He says, well, we're going to, we're going to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus. Well, wow. How are you going to do that? We don't have a clue. <laughs> That's what they would have said. We don't know. You don't have a plan? Like you don't have five steps? You don't have a vision? Do you have a fundraising campaign? Have you hired consultants? What are you going to do? How are you going to do that? We don't know. We're going to pray. I think one of the questions I want us to have throughout the time in the book of Acts is this question of like, did the people five minutes before the thing happened know how the thing was going to happen. <laughs> like you could just keep asking that over and over again. And the answer almost always is no. Like when they're about to do this crazy thing that's awesome and we ask that if we could pull them aside five minutes before the thing happens, we said, do you know what's going to happen here and how all this is going to work? And they're going to I don't know. But we have a promise. And we have a God. And we have a spirit working among us. At least they had the promise of it and now the reality of it as we have it. Scott Elder was here in the service earlier and, and a week ago as he led us in the time of prayer, he mentioned what it meant for him to speak at his father's funeral the week before that. I don't know if you know Scott's father's story. He worshiped with us occasionally. He lived in another city. During a significant moment in Scott's life as a young man growing up, um, his dad left, walked out on the family, walked out on Jesus. Um, and a few hundred people gathered at his funeral to celebrate what a great man he was. Scott would say he was a great man because he was a changed man. He came back to Jesus, came back to his wife, 
In the hospital, one of the more moving moments that Scott retold the story to a few of us was when his wife got down there and his husband's face there at the end said, I love you. That's the kind of power that we're talking about here that's available. And I think one of the reasons that story, look at where Scott was sitting earlier in first service, I, was so precious to me. I've got, I've got a friend 15 years ago, I stood up at his wedding. His, his boys are the same age Scott was. He's gone. Right now, and I'm getting emails from his wife, his friend, I've been friends with them for 22 years. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know it could happen. same power is available to you. It's a good thing to be at church, not because church is the place that fixes you, but because it's the place that puts us in relationship with the God who can. What else? What else does it mean? God is seeking to save the lost. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Last thing I want to say that it means is be faithful. Be faithful with what's next. There's a way to preach about the disciples, and I don't think it's entirely wrong, and I know I've done it myself, and certain passages lend itself to this, to preach about the disciples like they're the biggest doofuses in the entire world. Like they're every dude on every sitcom, right? Uh, you watch a children's show, and like the, the talking dog is smarter than dad a hundred times. There's a way to look at the disciples, and they're that in many contexts, right? They, they, take, they get their mom, they want to ask Jesus for me, you know, can we sit at your right hand? Go, mom, go ask Jesus if, you know, like there's that story in the gospel. If you don't know it, you should read it. And it's kind of humorous. They're kind of doofuses. They want to call down fire on heaven. Jesus is like, wait, hang on, okay. Let's give them grace. D children want to come to Jesus. Get out of here, kids. Scram, get off my lawn. <laughs> Jesus said, no, bring them close. And yet, I think, while well, although that is true, it, does, it, it, it could be highlighted to such extent that we would miss this, which is be faithful with what's next. Jesus was with them for 40 days, and they were alone for 10-ish, however that works out, um, day and night and whatnot, 8, 9, 10, 11 days, and Pentecost comes, and what were they doing? They didn't know what was going to happen 10 years from now. But they knew what needed to happen these 10 days. We need, we need to get together and pray. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. It's drawing from the Gospels where he said it earlier. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, that is, dunked, submersed. You'll, you'll, have, you'll get Niagara Falls waterfall upon you, the Holy Spirit, not many days from you. They had a promise, and they had a command, and they were faithful with what was right in front of them. And so I just want to look you in the eyes and say, I, I, I don't know what God has for you right in front of you. But I just say, don't worry about 10 years from now. Do what's right in front of you. Are there people you need to apologize to and you've not? Show up to work on time. Leave when you finished your work. 
Be faithful with your finances. Pay your creditors. These are very ordinary things. But I think it's significant that they were doing something very simple, very ordinary, before God used them to change the world. Let me draw this to a close. I said at the beginning, and I think it is the recurring theme, there is a limit to the ministry you and I can do in our own power. There always has and there always will be. And the hope of this passage is that Jesus builds his church. There's a police officer, a former police officer at our church, who's said to me before, when he was working in New York, when it was incredibly rough, um, he's just a young man trying to do his best. He's a Christian. And among the other observations of I want to do a good job and um, as, as a Christian with integrity and, and, and discharge my duties appropriately, the other, the other reflection was I'm not the solution to this. <laughs> like this is too big for me <laughs> and us. We can help and we could do our role, whatever it is, because like, that's what we have to do. But we don't fix this. We can be part of a solution, but we're not the solution. He said how formative that was for him. And I just, I feel that weight here as your pastor. <laughs> I want to be strong. And I'm wearing a sling. Went to a pastor's conference last week. I couldn't drive. Ben Bechtel, who ran a marathon this morning. I don't know if he's done yet. Yes, he, we hope. I'm looking at the clock. I hope he finished. I think he was wet. We'll find out. Uh, my associate pastor had to tie my shoes for me. And I had to ask. I put on my own socks. That's not very easy to do, but I did it. But it's been humbling. There was a time I had buttoned my shirt. <laughs> You put on dress shirts to symbolize this. You, you button them staggered wrong. <laughs> I did it twice in a row. I have to put my knees on my forehead to reach the top button. I yelled from the bedroom. Ah! I, I want to be strong. And yet, in this season, the Lord has been pleased to remind us of our frailty. But I think that's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because when we are weak, he is strong. I'm going to close in prayer and invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in song. It's going to be a song that we'll sing periodically throughout the book of Acts, a theme song in a sense, largely because of the last verse. And feel free to sing it. You have my permission to sing it with a little oomph. As the spirit lights the flame and the gospel goes forward, and will not kneel, will not faint. As God reaches the nations, even as they were gathered here in the book of Acts, and now the gospel's all the way, gone all the way to this strange place called Harrisburg and is here among us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, think about the book of Acts. I think about the Apostle Paul. We haven't met him yet, so to speak. He's not even a Christian yet. Chapter 2, chapter 3, through chapter 8, where he's persecuting your church, 
locking people up in jail, and you come out of nowhere, and you change him. And I think about 2 Corinthians 12, decades into his ministry. He prays about this thing he called a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. This thing he desperately wanted changed. A weakness in his side, a place in his life where he wanted to be strong and he was weak and he prayed to you and he prayed to you and he prayed to you three times. And your response, Lord, I pray would be the encouragement over at us this morning that your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, I pray that as a church that we would know that this is a place where we don't have to have it all together. Where we don't need the plastic smile. We can gather under the banner of the gospel as the redeemed, as those who have been called out as those who are saved and are being saved and will be saved on that great and final day. Until that day, we pray in your son's name.